This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the story of Sentaro the Millionaire from Japanese folklore. If you're wondering which poisons pair well with the nice Pinot Noir or how many sick flies to mix in your next soup, well, this episode's for you. The creatures this time are two fearsome critters from the United States, and one just wants to show off for his girlfriend by playing the drum. Unfortunately, you might be the drum. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 74. Do you really want to live forever? This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week, it's another story from Japanese folklore about a man who has it all. Well, kind of. He wants you to think he has it all. In fact, if you could tell all your friends how much money he has, he'd be really happy about that. He has dreams beyond just lying to everyone constantly about how much money he makes, though. Dreams that include not dying and staying in perfect health basically forever. And, yeah, if that sounds like a lot to ask, well, it is. Centaro the millionaire was not a millionaire. In fact, he was several hundred thousand away from being a true millionaire. Still, he realized one day that he was pretty rich, and that millionaire title was just a bit too tempting. So, he tried it on for size. That day, he introduced himself as Centaro the millionaire, and the stranger responded, Wow, you're a millionaire? To which Centaro said, Well, that's what the people call me. Starting now... Centaro was pretty content with blatantly lying about his net worth to everyone he met as soon as he met them, and he just kind of kicked back and relaxed. In time, however, Centaro grew discontent with just relaxing. He had enough wealth to live on for the rest of his life, and his friends and family erroneously thought him to be a millionaire. So what was next? With wealth and social standing secured, Centaro turned to the stability of his health. He became paranoid of falling ill and or dying. Mainly the dying part. Centaro wasn't asking for much, just that he would live for, you know, five to six hundred years and never become sick. He wasn't going to ask to live forever. After all, he was rich, but he wasn't greedy. Looking through the old texts and talking to scholars, Centaro the millionaire learned of an emperor, not unlike himself from long ago. Someone who also thought that, since he had amassed a large amount of money and power largely through inheritance, that the natural laws didn't apply to him he learned about the elixir of life, an elixir that gave everlasting life. I probably didn't even need to explain that one. One of the emperor's courtiers said that he would go seek out the elixir and return, and so the man left the following week. He was never heard from again. He went full Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade and never came back. That man's name was Jafuku, though some suspected that he still lived. Somewhere, guarding the secrets of everlasting life, it said that he sailed for a faraway land and disappeared. It's also said that the monks on Mount Fuji became hermits and worshipped someone named Jafuku as a god, probably unrelated. Sentaro left his home and most of his possessions in the care of his family and set off for Mount Fuji. It was said that the monks lived on the highest peaks in the coldest, most aesthetic conditions. Sentaro, the even more inaccurately named millionaire, braved the snow and ice and cliffs. 
he was going to find those monks who had spent their lives guarding the secret and asked them to give it to him for free. That was a really bad idea coming up here, the hunter said to Centaro, both of them shivering on the side of the road. But the old story said... Centaro started but trailed off. Yeah, I've heard him. Nobody believes him. There's no such thing as the elixir of life. You'd have to be a complete it... The hunter started, then looked away. Regardless of his complete and utter failure, Centaro should probably find his way back down the mountain and back home, the hunter said. There were bandits in these mountains, preying on people persistent enough to see if a fairy tale was true. He should go home and enjoy his life. He was a millionaire after all. I mean, that's how he introduced himself anyway. Centaro thought about this very good advice, but then decided that how could a non-millionaire hunter presume to give him advice? He was going to keep seeking the elixir of life. He knew that there was a temple to Jufuku around here, and he was going to stop and pray to the man. He would wait for hours, maybe even days, if it meant learning the secret to everlasting life from Jufuku himself. Probably not more than a week, though. That would be boring. About six days later, Centaro was startled awake by the spectral form of Jufuku hovering above his own altar. Hey, Centaro the millionaire, how's it going? Centaro said, introducing himself to the spirit. With a roll of his eyes, the spirit responded, Okay, first, I'm a spirit. Don't go point that millionaire stuff with me. I know you're not a millionaire, Jufuku said. Anyway, I know what it is you seek. How you want to live with the monks and find the secret of everlasting life. So they do exist, Centaro blurted out. Don't interrupt, but yes, they do exist, Jafuku said. They're not what you think, though. The path to immortality is a long one, full of prayer and hunger and not talking, which would be very tough for you. I'm going to be real with you. You're really weak, super soft. You would not last a week with the monks. You'll have to eat bark sometimes and cut yourself off from the world for years, and eventually you become so light that you can ride a crane or carp. For real though, you don't want it. So not only do I get this gift of eternal life, but I get to have fun riding animals? Centaro said. Wow, yes please. Okay, spirit guy, where do I sign up? I climbed part of a mountain and sat here for a week. That's time I could have been spending at home, getting more money and not just being a millionaire, but maybe a multi-millionaire. Jufuku scoffed. You're not a million... You know what? You think you can handle it? Absolutely, Centaro said. Well, you can't. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. There is another way. A kind of shortcut that doesn't require all the aestheticism and praying and sleeping on rocks and stuff. There are lands known as the Undying Lands. Like the Elixir of Life, the name Undying Lands is pretty self-explanatory. Is it like the one with the elves? Centaro asked. No, it's not like the one with the elves. Is it like the one with King Arthur? No, it's not like the one... Who told you about King Arthur? Anyway, I can give you directions to the Undying Lands, and while you're there, you won't die. But I will only give you the directions if you are sure you want... Yes, yes, I want to go live forever, Centaro blurted out before he finished. All right, said Jafuku. It's your non-funeral, I guess. Here you go. In the spirit's outstretched hand appeared a single paper crane. 
All you have to do is sit back, and it will carry you there, Jafuku said. Sit, sit on this tiny paper crane, and it'll take me to the Undying Lands? Are you, are you serious right now? Is this a prank? Are you just going to laugh at me as I sit on a tiny paper crane and command it to take me away to some distant land? Centaro, come on, look at me. I have transcended this world. Please, do as I say. Sit on the paper crane and tell it to fly. Centaro looked at it doubtfully, but it wasn't every day that a spirit gave you a folded one-way ticket to the Undying Lands. He sat down gingerly on the back of the tiny paper crane, pointed himself toward the window, and commanded that it take him to the Undying Lands. And Jafuku laughed at him. I mean, that was funny no matter how enlightened you were. Centaro shook his head, but then something unexpected happened. The paper crane that he thought he crushed when he sat on it grew until it was several times the size of a normal crane and big enough for Centaro to ride. Have a good trip, Jafuku offered with a smile as the crane flapped and Centaro glided out the window and into the cold black sky. catch up with Centaro on his crane ride, making his final descent into the Undying Lands. But that will be right after this. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, now back to the show. Centaro left Japan and flew east across the sea. And as the sun began to rise in front of him, Hours and hours later, they saw an island on the horizon, and the paper crane fluttered to the ground. As soon as Centaro stepped off, the crane shrank and fluttered into his pocket, waiting until Centaro required another ride. In the morning light, he could see that he was in a wonderful city that filled the horizon. A group of young men caught sight of him, obviously an outsider, and ran to him eagerly. Are you the guy? You have it? One local asked Centaro. Maybe, Centaro said. Depends what you mean by it. What? What do you mean by it? I just flew in and I'm super crane lagged. What's going on? The local could see Centaro wasn't the guy and rolled his eyes. It's not him. Just some traveler, he said to his companions. The small group of people returned to the building they were leaning against to wait for, presumably, the guy. Centaro walked a bit and turned to a merchant who had seen the whole thing. He asked if he was in the Undying Lands. Also, what was up with that group? The woman smiled at him. Yep, you're in the Undying Lands, where no one ever dies. Don't worry about them. They had been talking to a merchant from across the sea about some new substance or something. They didn't mean to be rude. Now, what can I get you? The stand owner asked Centaro. I have some arsenic, fresh from out west. Maybe some nightshade for your walk to work. Or, if you're looking for something a bit classical, you could pull a Socrates and empty a mug of hemlock. You may not be corrupting the youth of Athens, but this is sure to corrupt your respiratory system to the point where you can't breathe and die. What? Are you trying to kill me? Centaro gasped, staggering backward. Well, yeah, the woman said. I'm a poison dealer. I'm trying to kill everyone. And let me just say, 
business is good. Centaro shook his head, horrified, and then ran to the young men, who mistook him when he arrived in town, telling them that the woman at the stand, she was trying to kill him. <laughs> good luck with that, one of them said. If she could get the job done, we wouldn't be hanging around here waiting to pay too much for fancy out-of-town poisons to hopefully kill us. What's going on here? Centaro asked. One of the young men tapped the guy who was talking to Centaro and motioned to Centaro's clothes. Oh, you're a foreigner. Well, welcome to the Undying Lands. Now you can't die. And it really sucks. You weren't born here, so it's only a temporary thing while you're here. So I recommend turning around and never coming back. It's not worth it. Case in point, I'm 1,200 years old, said the guy who didn't look a year older than 30. I don't get it, Centaro began. You guys can't die. Don't you know how big of a deal this is? There are people who would kill for that ability, where I'm from. Yeah, well, maybe if they'd kill me, I'd be interested. Look, the not-so-young man said, here's the thing. For you all with a lifespan of what? On the outside, 100 years? Life is so exciting for you. You grow up and... Those early years are a meaningfully long portion of your life. And as soon as that's over, you get to have all these new experiences over and over as the decades pass. You get to have children, maybe even grandchildren. And just as things get a bit stale, you can bow out gracefully. It's like a party. It's fun and new and interesting, but you know it won't last forever. So you have to make the most of it. Now, imagine that party went on for 1,200 years. Everyone's still there. And while you might think that people are infinitely complex with hidden depths, that's only because you only have 60 to 80 years to get to know them. On a long enough timeline, the tolerability rating for everyone drops to zero. We are all so tired of one another. But leaving's even worse. Leaving means complete solitude. Because as soon as we get to know someone on the outside, they die. Couple that with missionaries coming from all over telling us how great the afterlife is, and not helping at all, and we are miserable. We've tried the violence thing. It doesn't work. So now we're all onto poisons, hoping that will take. Wow, that's, that's a lot to process, Centaro said. So have any of the poisons worked? Not yet, the guy said. Some have actually made us healthier, which is frustrating. Anyway, nothing personal, but please leave us alone. We do an info dump on how living forever is terrible for outsiders like every couple of months. So I've had this conversation thousands upon thousands of times by now. Centaro was amazed by these shockingly selfish people. They could stay here and never have to worry about death, where they could travel the world and watch empires rise and crumble around them, seeing and shaping the invisible path of history. But they just wanted to sit here and mope. He walked and marveled at what they were selling as delicacies, the poisonous globefish, soups made with sick flies, some new drug that was guaranteed to give you a stomachache, and a gray hair in a hundred years. No refunds, though, at restaurants. Waiters ground rat poison onto meals like pepper. Centaro laughed at the people. Unlike them, he would never tire of living. Never. Not one day. He had undertaken this quest to find everlasting life, and now he had. He would love living forever. Centaro hated living forever. It had been a long, long 300 years since he had arrived via Ubered to the Undying Lands. And even though he hadn't aged a day past 32, he felt as though he had. 
he continued calling himself the millionaire, because I guess technically having assets somewhere in the world managed by other people and not totaling a million is good enough for that title. And yeah, like the people back in Japan, that title impressed the denizens of the Undying Lands for the first 50 years. After his first three businesses failed, they realized that no, Sentaro wasn't a millionaire. Sentaro, without a rich dad to leave him everything, was surprised that money was so hard to come by. Sentaro, who was annoying by our standards, was absolutely hated by his neighbors. Everyone was fed up with his insistence that he was a successful businessman and cringed every time he called himself a millionaire. Sentaro knew that he could live forever, but if everyone hated him, his businesses kept failing, and worst of all, no one added his self-instituted honorific of the millionaire to his name. What was the point of living forever? Besides, he knew where the Undying Lands were. Anytime he tired of constant, impending mortality, he could just pop back over here and get his fill of being able to live forever. It wasn't like these people were going anywhere. Set in their monotonous routines, nothing had changed in his 300 years. Sentaro dropped to the floor of his modest house and prayed to Jafuku, the old imperial courtier turned spirit animal. He begged Jafuku to let him return to Japan. Sentaro heard a crash in the other room, and he was surprised to see a giant paper crane flapping there, having sprung from his old shirt. Apparently, he hadn't done laundry in 300 years. Well, whatever. His stinky clothes would be stained, but he wouldn't. He opened the door, hopped on his magical paper crane flight, and screamed that Sentaro the millionaire was going home for the whole city to hear before disappearing over the horizon. And he got the whole city's attention. Seeing a self-proclaimed millionaire rocket off in the sky was a new one. And when your entire city had been alive for thousands of years, new occurrences were hard to come by. Annoyed by the lack of an in-flight movie, and also the fact that movies didn't exist yet, Centaro was growing increasingly fidgety as he and his ride flew over the ocean, drumming on the paper crane's head and trying to make conversation. Centaro felt a solitary raindrop hit his forehead. At that moment, a thought popped into his head that he quickly dismissed. Even though it was a giant paper crane, it wasn't a giant paper crane. Jafuku wouldn't give him something that wasn't waterproof. I mean, he was in the clouds. When the clouds weren't a disguised stonecutter on a journey of self-discovery, see episode 26, the clouds were water in a different form. That would be a major oversight on Jafuku's part. But then, Sentaro saw a big, fat raindrop land on the crane's wing, and he watched the paper darken and warp and then tear in the wind. The crane's flight became a little less steady. Hmm, Centaro thought to himself. Better not get too many more of those. As if on cue, he got too many more of those. The downpour started, and the crane practically dissolved beneath Centaro. The man found himself tumbling down into the stormy sea. Centaro scrambled to the surface, where he rocked back and forth, treading water and battling the massive waves for nearly an hour, screaming out to Jafuku to save him, or else he was going to die. The next wave crested, and as it fell, Sentaro spied something approaching, quickly, in the distant haze. Was it a replacement crane, he thought? But it was no replacement crane. And he realized this, just before the shark surged from the choppy water, mouth agape, straight for Sentaro's head. He braced for impact, and the last thing he saw was the inside of the shark's mouth. 
rows upon rows of teeth coming down on him. You're back? You're back, Jifuku said. You just did the shark thing, right? I get confused as to what part of the story we're in when we jump around in time. This is right after you told me you absolutely wanted to live forever. I said you couldn't handle it, and, as you've just experienced, I was right. Where? Was it all just a dream? None of this happened? The Undying Land doesn't exist? Sentaro stammered, filling the floor below him. He was inside, back in Jafuku's temple, before he had even set out for the Undying Lands. And, of course, there was no shark. Oh, yeah, the Undying Lands exist, Jafuku said, and they're miserable. I mean, maybe it was just a dream, and maybe it was a multiverse sort of thing, where another you lived out that life... Who really knows? I don't concern myself with all the little details. Just that you learn your life lessons. And you did. Kind of. But the shark? Centaro said, still very confused. Oh, that was to show you that even though you think you know what you want, you don't know what you want. You know, first you wanted to live forever, but then you got tired of that. Yet when death comes along, that's not what you want either. Really? Just don't come to temples asking to live forever. That's a big ask. Just go back to your village and think about these two experiences. The one where you wanted to die, and the one where you didn't want to die. Live a good life, be good to your community and children, and don't try to avoid death. So wait, hold on, Sentaro said, stopping Jofuku. No, 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 I think I got it. The elixir of life was in me all along. It's living a good life, and making an impact on the world in a meaningful way, so that the good you do in the world lives on after your death, and those you've helped. What? No. This whole thing was just a lesson to show you that you weren't ready to literally live forever. That you were selfish and short-sighted to even ask. But, you know, wow, that's not a bad takeaway that's not actually in the story. Good job growing, kind of despite yourself. Wow, turns out I am a millionaire after all. In knowledge, Sentaro said, very pleased with himself. And we're back. Have a safe trip home, Sentaro, Jifuku said to the not millionaire, giving him a book of precepts and wisdom to live by. Sentaro waved goodbye and made his way back down the mountain. Sentaro, who somehow managed to live 300 years while learning very little, went home and his family returned all of his possessions to him, leaving through the book Jafuku had given him one day and reflecting on his ordeal, he decided that it was worth a read. He sat down and read it cover to cover in one day, and it had a profound effect on him. Knowing that it was folly to try to avoid death, Sentaro resolved to be the best Sentaro he could be. He helped his community, was thoughtful toward his family, and was mindful of his actions. He lived a long and happy life. And yes, he did keep calling himself Sentaro the Millionaire. People can only change so much. Okay, so cards on the table, this story really falls apart at the end. Any sort of moral or wrap-up was solely my addition. The story seemed to get really into its own concept of avoiding death and people eating poisons, that it doesn't really seem to have a consistent message. It just sort of ends with it being a dream, where Sentaro learned nothing, and then, years later, he read a book, 
that changed everything. I thought there might have been a good moral in there that needed to be drawn out a bit, but I just wanted to let you know that it was a moral that I found, and not one that was clearly mentioned in the original story. Next week, it's the story of Pecos Bill. You might not have heard of him, but he's from US folklore, and exists in the same tradition as Paul Bunyan. He's a real American hero, from Texas, who can lasso a river and ride a tornado, and spends most of the story naked thinking he's a coyote. I want to say thanks to Martastic, Alice Lavender, Viking Shawl, Nettie Mags, Mayor 89, Emily B25335, Tom Gerard, Road South, Texan Carolyn, Jocks Rocks, J Pun77, Keza Shaza, Big Smoke Bass, Python, Haldo616, Charlotte Vivian, and Whirly Gig37 for all the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and it's wonderful to hear from you all. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is very much the best place, and you can find the show there at Apple mythpodcast.com and as always there's also a membership thing on the site for less than the price of one chicken saddle you can get extra episodes source pack ebooks and ad free versions of the show full disclosure i was really disappointed that chicken saddles were things you put on chickens to make them easier to grab and not an actual saddle to make it easier for tiny mythological creatures to ride chickens the membership will be far less disappointing i promise you can find more info at support.mythpodcast.com The creatures this week are two from the United States. They're fearsome critters. If you remember from the Paul Bunyan episode, those are creatures that lumberjacks talked about slash made up in the 19th and early 20th centuries to scare and entertain other lumberjacks. The first is the ball-tailed cat. It used to be all over the US, but after Paul and his gang did their work, clearing the country of its vast forests, the ball-tailed cat was left only in Oregon and Pennsylvania. It is a large cat with a ball on its tail, Said to be more aggressive and hateful to humans than cats usually are, it waits up in trees with its actual wrecking ball of a tail above its head. When an unsuspecting lumberjack walks below, it will swing its tail down. As we talked about with the rainbow surfing, fish-flinging creature a few weeks back, things flying at our heads with a high velocity are fairly problematic for us humans, so the lumberjack would not last long. When it's not using its dangerous tail to rearrange our facial features, it's using it to get a date. It will use the tail to pound out a jaunty tune on a hollow log to attract all the female ball-tailed cats who are into that sort of thing. If you're out in the forest in Oregon or Pennsylvania and hear an impromptu drum circle, just walk the other way, or else your head might end up as one of the instruments. The next creature is the Columbia River Sand Squink, found in the more remote mountains of Washington State. If you don't know what a squink is, well, the word appears to be squirrel and skunk just sort of jammed together you'd think that's what the creature would look like. But you'd be wrong. The creature has the body of a coyote, ears of a jackrabbit, and the tail of a squirrel. The squink will eat just about anything, but loves slurping down electric eels, which definitely exist in the freshwater streams of North America. Once it gets enough of a charge, it's ready to head inland and lure some old prospectors to their doom. It has three little koosh ball things on its two ears and tail, and it will sneak up behind prospectors in the woods it will touch them over and over, staying hidden and giving the prospectors shocks that, quote, please and attract the prospectors away from the path home. I didn't realize that was a thing, but the prospector would never be seen again, likely turning into the rare non-electric meal for the squink. The squink lays eggs and it lines its nest with old inner tubes. So if you've ever lost an inner tube, you can be reasonably sure that it's being put to good use. Comforting the next generation of squinks sitting at home, slurping electric eel spaghetti. 
That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And this episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.